I'd invite you, if you have a Bible this morning, to turn with me to both the Old Testament and the Gospel text for today. The Old Testament text comes from 1 Samuel, the second chapter, the Gospel text from Luke, the second chapter. And as we hear these words today, I'd love for you to pay attention to the ways in which they echo one another. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, and then verse 26. Now Samuel was serving the Lord. He was a young boy clothed in linen priestly vest. His mother would make a small robe for him and take it to him every year when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. May the Lord replace the child of this woman that you gave back to the Lord. Verse 26. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel kept growing up and was more and more liked by both the Lord and the people. And then turn with me to Luke chapter 2. The text begins at verse 41 this morning. And if you're with us and able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the Lord's word as we hear Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Each year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. When they didn't find Jesus, they freaked out a little and returned to Jerusalem (laughs) to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were shocked. His mother said, child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. Jesus replied, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he said to them. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother cherished every word in her heart. And Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning on this first Sunday after Christmas, the text cracked me up. We, we got 24 whole hours with the baby Jesus, and now we, we get preteen Jesus. Uh, it only took 24 hours for us to get there. This morning, I, I want you to hear the echoes in both texts, for as we've seen a number of times during this Advent season, especially in the Gospel of Luke and the way Luke tells the birth narrative, so much of that has echoes of the story of Hannah. They both have to do with times of unsettledness, of times of great disruption and upheaval in the world. They both have to do with strange and unexpected pregnancies, not just Hannah and Mary, but also if we include Elizabeth and John the Baptist in that story as well, these unique pregnancies. They both have to do with tabernacle and temple, the central places of worship among the people, They both have to do with this one that they are carrying being the source of God's transformation in the world. 
And of course, they both sing great songs. Hannah sings this song of praise about what God will do through Samuel, and Mary sings this amazing Magnificat, this, this song not only about what God will do, but in some sense what God has already done in bringing Christ into the world. But we see uh, the echoes of those stories today from, from Hannah and Elkanah going up year after year to care for Samuel. They participate in this festival. They, and each year, Hannah brings to him as he grows, brings to him a new ephod, a new robe to grow into and to live into and to minister. And we hear the story of Joseph and Mary headed up to Jerusalem with the people, taking Jesus each year in these amazing rituals and festivals. I want to reflect about two or three things out of the text this morning. And the first is, and it's not unusual, I say this all the time, but I, I have such Jewish envy when I read these texts. I have such envy for people who have traditions, <laughs> who have practices that are inscribed in who they are. It's part of the reason I love this story. We were sitting around the dinner table uh, with all of our kids and now our in-law kids too, talking about what are your, you know, what were the favorite things that your family did? And we were talking about all of the things that are so important to our kids and to us during this season. And I love the season where we do so many things that inscribe into us this life that God has for us. I, I've shared with you this story before, but but one of my favorite Christmas memories is when Caleb was just little, probably four or five and we were coming out of church. I can picture the exact place we were on the sidewalk outside Bethany First Church in Oklahoma as we were walking out of the service. And I said to Caleb, Caleb, what did you guys talk about in church this morning? And he goes, oh, Dad, we talked about Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus for the hundredth time, right? <laughs> I just remember saying to him, welcome to church, son. Welcome to Christmas. We are going to do this every year. Every year we're going to drag out that wreath and we're going to light all those candles and we're going to talk about hope and peace and joy and love. We're going to sing these same songs that we pull out every year that mean so much to us to get inscribed deep within us. This is what we are going to do. And these texts are rooted in a people who are formed because each year they head up to the temple and and as they go, they sing the same songs of ascent and they get inscribed deep within the hearts of their children, the lives and the patterns. And all of that becomes part of their imagination as they participate in those practices. One of the funny things to me, by the way, of Caleb being the one who complained about Mary, Joseph and baby Jesus is now as a young adult, he, he teaches uh, Bible to mid-hires and senior hires and he has started for us a daily podcast, the New Creation Common Prayer Podcast. And if you've been listening to it, here is my kid who was tired of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus by the age of four, but who every day makes his students recite the Nicene Creed, Brent. I, I, I kind of blame you for that. But, uh, and every day leads us in that creed. Why? I mean, some days when I'm listening to it, I want to go, here's the Nicene Creed for the hundredth time, right? But why? So that those ideas, those thoughts will shape the very core of our imagination. I've messed him up enough that he believes students who he goes to every day who can recite the Pledge of Allegiance without thinking about it should be able to say the Nicene Creed without thinking about it, right? Should be able to articulate our faith without even thinking about it. 
I want to say something a little controversial, so you can take this or leave this, but I think I'm right. As I read this text, one of the questions, we, we don't get a whole lot about Jesus' growing up in the scripture. In fact, in some ways, this, this is the only text we get in between the birth and the ministry of Jesus. I don't think we're to read this text as though one day the boy Jesus kind of realized by the power of the Holy Spirit, hey, I think I'm Messiah, right? Um, but that as Jesus is raised in this family that participated in these practices that formed a people called God's people in the world. And as Jesus came to know Torah and prophets and wisdom, and as the language of that filled his home and as the practices of worship shaped who he is, he begins to realize, oh, there is something going on in the mission of my life that fits the mission of this people that I'm being ingrained into. And out of that, I'm beginning to see where my story extends and fills full this story that I have been shaped by over and over in this home of origin. Are you with me? And so again, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. Then when Jesus showed up in the temple that day, it wasn't as though this person who'd never heard the law before shows up to teach others. But he's so immersed in those scriptures as a young man and begins to understand his soul, his identity through that. Then he begins to see the call that the father has upon him. And begins to understand the mysteries of all that he has received in new and profound ways led by the Spirit. And that's why we're going to talk about Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus for the hundredth time again next year. And why for the next several weeks we'll celebrate the fact that the light has come in our midst. And a few weeks after that we'll put the cross right in the center. And we'll think about what it means to be a people shaped by the cross. And then in a few Sundays, we're going to have this place full of lilies. And we're going to be able to sing songs about the fact that the resurrection makes all the difference in our life. And why we want your kids to be part of that. Because we want it inscribed deep within who they are. Yeah, that was good. The other thing that this text does, and it's quite subversive is both in the lives of Hannah and Elkanah and in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth and in the lives of Joseph and Mary. The thing that gives their family life actually identity is their life within the kingdom of God. That they find their identity not so much within their family unit, although certainly in Jewish life that was important. But in each case, Samuel's ultimate identity is found in the mission that he has been given within the tabernacle and within leading the transformation of God's people during, ultimately during the time of David. And what gives to John the Baptist and to Jesus their identities is the fact that as part of this family system, they are part of the kingdom of God and that actually gives to them their identity and they are able to live into that as their primary place of identification. I don't have time to spend a lot of time here today other than to say this. I think that's really important. And it's something we subversively do. 
We did it last week uh, when we dedicated Mason Free. Wasn't that last week? That was just last week, wasn't it? President Tiffany brought little Mason and said, help, right? And we said, yeah, we'll help, but not only help. What is profound in the text is when Jesus says, why did you think I would be somewhere else? Who do you think my father is? And later in the text, he'll say this, when they come to look for him, who are my mother and my brothers? These people are. Like the ultimate sense of identity comes by being connected to this particular people. And that is where their identity will come. And the reason why I think that's so subversive is I think we kind of flip that on its head these days. That we think the church exists in order to help make families better. Or even lower down, the church exists in order to help individuals get through their journeys individually. And you won't recognize sort of the subversiveness about how God's people operate until you understand their individual lives are actually made sense of because they have entered in and followed this call that Jesus has placed upon their life. And the family only makes sense in as much as it has entered into the life and mission of the church. I know that sounds strange. Every semester with my theology class, I try to say to them, listen, when you guys decide to get married, if you decide to get married, here's the question you should ask. How will the kingdom of God be a better place because the two of you get married? And I always look at me like, what? We're just hot for each other. And I always say, well, that's nice. It's a nice bonus, but hey, the question that Christians ask is what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God, including in our singleness or in our marriage? And if you decide to get married, if you decide to have kids, here's the question you should ask. How is our having kids going to be a blessing to the kingdom of God? If you decide to not have kids, here's the question. How is our not having kids going to be for the sake of the kingdom of God? And I, every semester they look at me like, he's lost it. <laughs> and in some sense, I have, it, it, it doesn't make much sense to us. But part of what these texts invite us to see is a people shaped by practice after practice after practice. But a people who have recognized ultimately even the mission of our families are found within the larger mission of the purpose that God has given to us. But the part that strikes me most in these texts is this idea of maturity. First Samuel says, uh, Samuel grew up. He matured both in his relationship to God, but also in his relationship to people. Luke borrows that same language to describe Jesus as one who grows up, who matures in wisdom and knowledge in a relationship with God and with others. But there's a fascinating line in there where when Mary experiences this very unsettling event of losing Jesus for three whole days and finding him in the temple, Texas, and she put these things in her heart. I don't know that what Luke means there is Mary begins to create an internal scrapbook of weird moments of Jesus that she's going to show at his high school graduation someday. But this is a moment where, in some sense, not only is Jesus maturing, but Mary's heart also is being transformed and changed. This is a moment where, if you will, the first move takes place from Mary being the caretaker of this gospel 
to this moment where the gospel begins to take control of her and transform her. Let me give you some example of what I mean today, and I'll pick on Caleb since he's not here today. Um, although I think he may be monitoring online, so he can defend himself online today. But, but Caleb, uh, Caleb turned 28 uh, just a few days ago. And it, was, it dawned on me uh, when he turned 28 that we, Deb and I were 27 when he was born. And so he's been in our life way more than, now more than he was before, before uh, our lives before him. But I remember when he was born, you know, those of you who've had multiple kids, you know, like the first one you're really excited about. And the next ones you are excited, but you also know that night in the hospital is going to be the last night of sleep that you get for the next several months. And so <laughs> it was funny with, with uh, Noah, Jonah, and Sophie, when they said, do you want the baby to stay here or you want us to take him to the nursery? We're like, take him to the nursery. We'll, we'll see them for the next 28 years. Um, you can take them. But Caleb, we held on, I held on to him all night and I was just so amazed by this little one that, that Deb had given birth to and just, oh, just all, all the amazing things about him. But as we were getting ready to leave the hospital, he did what babies do and, and made a bit of a mess. Um, and I remember saying to the nurse, oh, he made a mess, <laughs> right? And the nurse said, wonderful, everything's working, that's good. He's yours. And <laughs> you change him. I remember thinking, oh my word, what have we gotten ourselves into? Right? Like, like we are taking home this one who's completely dependent upon us, right? And so so this just radically transforms your life when you realize, oh no, we have this person now, this entity who is completely dependent upon us. Then a few years later, I remember this moment where I'm buckling Caleb in his car seat. And as I'm buckling him in, he pushes my hand away and he goes, I can do it my own self. <laughs> and I remember this moment of thinking, oh, oh, well, all right. Well, you can feed yourself and take yourself to college then, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like I just, but I remember, okay, okay, this is the moment where he's beginning to recognize, I'm not dependent on you for everything. I can buckle myself in, right? <laughs> And that just began this whole string of things he wanted to begin to do his own self. And, and parenting began to shift from they're dependent on everything to how do I help to shape and guide but allow Caleb to begin to make his own mistakes and learn to begin to do some things his own self. Oh, and then I remember about seventh or eighth grade, the first time it was just clear he was embarrassed of me. You know that time, especially in junior high boys' lives, I, this happened for all of our boys. They grow their bangs long and they just look at you through them. <laughs> they, just, they just view the whole world through their hair, right? It's just, and every answer is, yeah, no, right? Like, and you show up with their friends and just, I mean, like last week, they were so excited that you were their parent and now you are such an embarrassment in their life, right? And I began to realize, right? You, you know this moment. I began to realize, oh, this is okay, right? And they'll come back from the dark side eventually, about 11th grade, <laughs> when they realize how much money they need for the rest of their life. But they'll come back. Uh, but no, this is about a real sense of my own identity. And now 
this transition is happening not just for them, but for me to realize, oh, I, I now have to parent in a different way. And this is largely about coaching and protecting and guiding again. And, and then this is the day that really drove me crazy. I, when I was at Azusa, we had a campus down in San Diego and I took some friends down there and Caleb was a college student at Point Loma. And I had some stuff to give him. And so I texted him and said, hey, I'm over at the San Diego campus. Me and a couple of buddies, we're going to buzz over to Point Loma. Just would love to see you, have some stuff for you. And Caleb goes, we'll win. Right, that was the text message. Like, we'll win. So well, I, I think we'll be there by 5.15 or so. Okay, right at 5.15, dad. Like that was it. And I just, I, we got to campus and it was one of those moments where it was the first time he wasn't excited to see me. In fact, he was kind of irritated to see me. Now I found out later, this was, he was headed for his first date with Melanie, who he married. And he did not care about me at all. He just cared about this date he was going on, right? And it was this moment where I realized, oh, this is what parenting means now, right? <laughs> like this is, you have a life that you are beginning to live. And now I get to cheer that on. Um, and I get to be there when you need me. But, but this is kind of this launching moment. And even just recently, watching him grow and develop, one of the delights of my life was when I was teaching at SNU, I got to have my mother in class, which was so much fun. First of all, she destroyed the curve uh, and everybody wanted her in their uh, study group. But, but the other day, Caleb and I were talking about something. He was sharing some things. And I, one of the first times I realized, oh, I am learning so much from my kid. This is weird, right? I'm supposed to be the smart one here. I'm supposed to be the teacher. And I can see a day coming in the hopefully distant future where that moment comes where you realize the one who used to be dependent on you, now in so many ways you are dependent upon them and their care. And that's part of not just their maturing, but here's the reality, that's part of our maturing too. And so far he's much better at that than I am. That maturing is a much more difficult process, I think, for me in some ways than it is for him. If you're still with me, one of the crazy things to me about this narrative and as it moves forward is Mary, the one that we've celebrated for several weeks now, being the one, the instrument through whom the incarnate reality of God entered into the world the one who was given the responsibility of caring for and nurturing and protecting and participating in practices that would begin to form and give imagination to that one who carries the new creation into the world. This text before us today is the first time where a new maturity enters not just for Jesus, but for Mary. Where she begins to realize, oh, this thing what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> this presence that has come into the world through me is now going to transform me. I say that to say this this morning. There is a maturing process that happens over and over again in the scripture. Let me give you just a couple of examples. I'm always struck by the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah who are desperate to have a baby and finally they have Isaac. And they're so delighted to have Isaac. But every time I read that story, I think, can you imagine if you waited 100 years to have a baby, how protective you'd be? 
I'm not sure if they had bubble wrap in the ancient world, but man, if I were Sarah, I'd have wrapped that kid in bubble wrap. But this one that has brought laughter and joy into their life. The story is about how, the story is not just about getting this child into Abraham's life, but finally the maturing of the story is when Abraham is able to take that promise that he waited so long to have and give that promise back to God. It's in that moment of being able to take the promise that he waited for and give that up to God. It is in that moment that Abraham becomes the ancestor of faith. There's a maturing that the Apostle Paul talks about where he'll say the law wasn't unimportant. We needed an instructor to kind of give us pathways of what this life connected to God and others looks like. But at some point, if all you do is live according to the law, you stay immature. And Paul will say this, but you're not kids anymore. Now you've been given the spirit and the law is written on your heart and you now no longer need those regulations and rules. You can now live in the freedom of the spirit. And if you don't do that, you eternally stay immature. So become mature. So often in the gospels, there is this move where people come to Jesus out of need, rightly. They're blind or poor or lame, marginalized, in deep need of a God who knows their name and meets them where their need is. And Christ will come and bless and bring healing and restoration and wholeness to them. But one of my favorite examples is Bartimaeus cries out to him in the road, oh, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. And Bartimaeus can see, and then what does Bartimaeus do next? Joins Jesus on the road to Jerusalem to find out how to die. Are you with me? That the gospels move us from this place of knowing the Jesus who meets our needs and brings wholeness to our life. For truly, you can't give yourself away until you have a self. As my friend Pastor Diane loves to say. But having yourself is not the end of the story. In fact, that's being stuck in immaturity. For eventually this new creation that has been birthed in you actually begins to now call you into all new ways of being and following and living what we would call the holy life, fully devoted to him. The God who blesses the one on the margins may eventually invite that one who has left the margins to give everything away for the sake of the gospel. The one who has been healed is now called to heal. The one who has been saved is now called to save. The one who's been given life is now called to die. The one whose heart was broken and made whole is now invited to allow their heart to break for the right things. That's Maturity, that's growing up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with others. Amen. And so this morning, let me close by saying, you got about five days to figure out your resolutions for next year. <laughs> I'm working on my list. And as we think about rightly, what we should, should do with the gifts of these bodies that God has given to us and 
make some new commitments to be healthy. Or with the minds that God has given to us or the time that God has given to us. I'd love to encourage some of you here who are in that place of needing Christ to move in in ways of transformation and healing. Let me say again and again and again, this season is a reminder, you do not have to come to God, God comes to you. God wants to heal and make whole. But the reality is for most of us in this room, especially folks spiritual enough to come to church on the day after Christmas. The question isn't so much, do, do you need to be healed? The question is more, do you, is it time for us to grow up? To put away the childish things and to move into the, the realities of what God has for us. To follow the mystery like Mary of this one who has come into the world, but now who transforms us, invites us into a life of faith to not just receive a promise, but to trust him enough to give the promise back. Over the next few weeks, um, not next Sunday, but in January and February, I'm really excited to kind of talk about where I think God has us as a church but the reality is it's, it's here, it's in this moment that says, are not just we as individuals, but are we as a community of people ready to be not just children cared for by God, but people who are ready to mature in Christ Amen. and to discover God who just keeps inviting us deeper and deeper into life with him. I believe that even on the other side of this life, the knowledge and love and beauty of God is so vast that we will continue to grow into that into all eternity. And the invitation is to begin to grow now and to discover the depth that God has for us. God help us today. Um, help us to know what it means to trust, to lean in, to put away the old things and to come to new life in you. I pray for some who are like Bartimaeus today, who are in just the midst of all sorts of needs, who just desperately need you like a parent taking care of a child with no ability to move forward, to just come in and to make all things new, to give sight to the blind, to give healing to the lame, to give sound to the mute, to give wholeness to those broken. I pray that as we enter in this season and into this new year, these would be the moments where you restore and make whole. But we confess today that a lot of us have been Bartimaeus for decades. You healed us decades ago. We learned to walk a long time ago. You restored our heart a long time ago. 
you fulfilled your promise a long time ago. But we have stayed right there. And not allowed you to take us deeper and into maturity, into not just being practice keepers and rule followers, but people inscribed deep within our hearts the reality of who you are. And so I pray for those who need to move that direction, that you would make that clear to them and that your voice would call them deeper into this journey with you. And I pray that for us as a church. We're so thankful for what you are doing and have done. But we are a people ready for you to take us where you want us to go. And it scares the life out of us. But we are a people who know we don't know where else to turn. Life is in your hand. And so take us where you want us to go. Lead us, mature us, fill us, sanctify us through and through, we pray. Help us to become reflections of the light that we have received from Christ. For it's in his name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Stand with me. Let's sing this great hymn. We get one more chance to do it. We got to do it. Joy to the
heaven he rules the world with truth and grace God's purpose was to equip his people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's son. And God's goal is for us to become mature adults, fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. So as a result, let us not be infants any longer, tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching and with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, let us go, speaking the truth in love, growing in every way into Christ who is the head, for the whole body grows from him and is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. And may we, his body, grow and live a life of love in every part. And God's people said, amen. Go in his peace. Have a great week.